BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, good evening. I'm Dr. Gina and welcome to Primetime. Texas and Mississippi added their names to the list of those opening up 100% this week, but Joe Biden, not happy. Check out this clip of him in the Oval Office. You can hear his handlers trying to shoo the press out of the room, but they started yelling questions at him, and Biden let everyone know what he thought of the states removing mask mandates and other restrictions. Listen. Message to Texas and Mississippi. Texas and Mississippi. I think it's a big mistake. Look, I hope everybody's realized by now these masks make a difference. We are on the cusp of being able to fundamentally change the nature of this disease because of the way in which we're able to get vaccines in people's arms. We've been able to move that all the way up to the end of May to have enough for every American, to get every adult American to get a shot. And the last thing, the last thing we need is the Neanderthal thinking that in the meantime, everything's fine, take off your mask, forget it. It still matters. Issue had a hard time hearing his murmuring under his mask. He said that people who wanted to open up businesses and remove mask mandates are Neanderthals. Neanderthals. And now we hear, thanks to the Biden administration's dangerous open border policy, that over 100 illegal immigrants in Texas tested positive to, uh, for COVID, and they were released and left free to roam around the inside of the U.S. About 6% so far are estimated to have tested positive for COVID who are entering the U.S. borders. So who are the Neanderthals and uh, who's upset about name calling? Do you remember some mention of someone doing some name calling and someone saying that was just so barbaric? Hmm, funny how the world turns, isn't it? Anyway, Biden did a COVID briefing with Democrat lawmakers. And of course, it was done virtually for safety reasons, because Biden wouldn't want to be exposed to any illegal immigrants who might be roaming around America with COVID. Uh, Biden went off script a little and asked if he was supposed to take questions, and suddenly the feed was completely shut down. Listen. Do the many more things we know we have to do. So I want to thank you all. I really mean it from the bottom. I want to thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm happy to take questions if that's what I'm supposed to do, Nance, whatever you want me to do. Happy to take questions if that's what you aren't supposed to do. Luckily, the tech guys at the White House were able to pull the plug on Joe's feed before he started rambling incoherently. Oh, can't imagine handling this guy. We're going to talk more about Biden and his lack of press access with John Solomon a little bit later in the show. But for now, we're going to head out to our hosts and correspondents around America. We start in Washington, D.C. with the host of Just the News AM, Sophie Mann. Sophie's been watching the back and forth between Biden and Republican governors. Sophie. Hey there. So on Thursday, Joe Biden and Republican governors who have opted to open their states began trading barbs about their decisions to free their constituents from the restrictions of the coronavirus pandemic. 
Um, on Tuesday, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas and Governor Tate Reeves of Mississippi decided to uniformly lift mask restrictions and mandates and open businesses at full capacity in their states. On Wednesday evening, uh, President Joe Biden called that decision Neanderthal in nature. He said about the governor's announcements, the last thing we need is Neanderthal thinking and that they need to continue keeping restrictions in place until vaccination rates have gone up even further. Now, Governor Reeves is responding to Biden, um, saying yesterday, Mississippians don't need handlers. As numbers drop, they can assess their choices and listen to experts. I guess I just think we should trust Americans, not insult them. Um, questions arise about this is about whether or not this is the type of unifying rhetoric that Biden really promoted during his campaign and the time before he took the presidency. Um, we will, of course, wind up seeing what happens in Texas and Mississippi as more and more Republican governors continue to lift restrictions in their states. Thanks so much. We'll keep you updated on what's going on. All right. I appreciate it so much, Sophie. Thank you. And make sure you tune into her every day at Just the News AM. And now out to the RAV headquarters in Denver, Colorado. Jessica Rivera is there and she is ready. Jessica, what do you have for us today? Well, Dr. Gina, as many of the nation's schools are still closed to in-person learning, there are disturbing reports coming out that prove a lot of American students are completely failing in high numbers. And I know we hear that a lot, but this next story will make your blood boil. For example, one student in Baltimore, Maryland, has passed only three classes, get this, in four years of high school. And that student's 0.13 grade point average ranks at the top half of his class. The mom of the student thought her son was going to graduate in June, but just learned he's actually being placed back into the ninth grade. But what is absolutely unexcusable and frankly criminal in my opinion is, you're gonna tell me in four years, the mother and the school system had absolutely no idea it would, this child was not just behind, but was not being educated or taught. And then you're going to add he's still part of the top half of his class with a 0.13 GPA, which only proves he's not the only student in this situation. We're hearing there are hundreds just like him. Dr. Gina, I know you would agree with me when I say it's a problem if a kid only passes three classes in a semester, let alone four years. Yet the teachers unions in the area think that the teachers are the ones being mistreated by being asked to return to the classroom. You know who's being mistreated and neglected and frankly abused are these students who obviously have no one advocating for them and it's so easily for them uh, slipping through the cracks. And Dr. Gina, I'm gonna sound like a broken record, but at this point, I really don't care. This is the state of some of our public schools. Like I said previously this week, while our government gives billions to other countries and for those people who claim to care about our prison populations being disproportionately minorities, they need to put their money where their mouth is and get to work with the Baltimore school system to start because this is where it is all starting. And lastly, Dr. Gina, I wanna put this whole situation into perspective for some who may still not see the severity of this situation. Look at it this way, in four years, the average high schooler has taken about 56 classes, give or take. This student has passed three of those. If a surgeon operated on 56 patients in four years and only three of those patients survived, meaning 53 died, he or she would no longer be a practicing surgeon. Heck, they may even be in jail. So how are these teachers allowed to continue to teach with the same, the same statistics? 
And some are going to say, but Jessica, this isn't life or death. And I say, yes, it is. Because many of these students will turn to a life of crime and drugs, which only leads to prison or death. So yes, it is a situation of life or death for our kids. And this needs to be taken more seriously than it has been. And as, as somebody who's homeschooled and has found it to be pretty cost effective, I have to say, I don't understand why some of these teachers, you know, if they don't want to return to the classroom, they think it's so unsafe. Why can't they just scrap the system, hire some tutors for all the money that we're paying them to sit at home and do nothing, hire some independent tutors to go in and teach these children in their homes or in small group co-ops? Uh, for the same money and just do away with the teachers that are currently working that don't want to go into the classroom. That's my personal solution. I'm not even one of these big, we need to send them all back into government schools. I think let's just homeschool them or co-op them, and it'll be a better education anyway. Thank you so much for that report, Jessica. You're welcome. Now we head out to Tijuana, Mexico, where Ben Burquam is standing by. Ben, what is the scene down there? Hey, Dr. Gina, we are here at El Chaparral uh, at the San Ysidro Port of Entry. Now, where I'm standing, if you guys are familiar with Tijuana, is uh, actually where typically the pedestrian uh, entrance is. There's a big Mexico sign behind me. Usually, we've got all these taxis that are, are on this side of the street. They're usually actually where all the people are standing and gathering now. Ever since Joe Biden ended the Remain in Mexico policy, people have been pouring in down here. And in fact, right now, the last several days, they've been protesting against Joe Biden, saying, you're not letting us in fast enough. They got the memo. The leftist organizations that have been down here for years, like El Otro Lado, uh, basically once Joe Biden was inaugurated, said the borders are wide open, everybody's welcome. And now these people are upset. They actually have T-shirts that say, uh, let us in, Joe Biden. And th it, this, is, this is the scene down here. It's basically just a tent city. What we're also being told is, uh, several of the families inside of this mass of people have COVID and they're just being let, you know, to walk around. They, they said that they were going to be letting in 300 people a day. Now they're letting in somewhere between 10 and 12. Uh, and it, it's it, what's happening, though, is at night you've got people, coyotes, cartels coming down. And the people that are here that can afford it are paying them. They're taking them further east and illegally crossing them across the border where we see the wide open parts of the border where Joe Biden stopped the wall. So it's just a mess down here, and it's all thanks to Joe Biden and uh, the Democrats. Ben, are you seeing other media down there? And if so, what kind of outlets are down there? You don't have to tell me specifically which outlets, but how many? And are these national news outlets, or what are you seeing? I haven't seen any U.S. news outlets. You have the, the typical Telemundo uh, and local or the national uh, Mexican national uh, I, ha I have heard that MSNBC has been down here. I haven't seen them. I haven't seen any reporting by them. But it's not surprising, though, because what we're seeing here is not a positive message for Joe Biden. This is not there's nothing that's going on here uh, that looks good for them. And what we've seen from the mainstream propaganda media is they're not telling stories. They're still spending more time on President Trump than they are on Joe Biden. And so it's, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. They don't want you to see this. They don't want you to see the blankets that have been put on the ground here where people can sleep outside. They don't want you to know that families are sending their children unaccompanied through uh, as unaccompanied minors. And then the next day coming themselves and saying, oh, I'm here, my child's already on the other side. They don't want you to know that this is just a total disaster. So there's, quite, there's not very much reporting on it yet. That's why we're down here. 
And people see it and see that it looks warm and sunny, but I can tell you I live three to five miles from exactly where you are right now, Ben, and I can tell you that it gets very cold there at night, very cold, and it's only going to get colder as it goes into May and June. We call it May gray and June gloom, and those are very cold months there uh, in that part of the world, I can absolutely assure you. And so uh, sleeping out on a blanket is not quite like it looks in the middle of the daytime. I want to tell you. Um, ben, are, are people, do you think, also uh, able to sneak through some of those holes that you were talking about that have been left open by the ceasing of fence building uh, that you showed us in Texas last week? Is some of that happening there in California as well? Oh, absolutely. In fact, what this is doing is it's driving more people that way because they know once they get across or they've been told once they get across, they're, they're you know, scot-free. That's why they're upset. They're, a lot of the people that are down here have been protesting. They actually have Joe Biden flags. I've seen actually more Joe Biden flags down here than I ever saw in America, which leads you to, uh, you know, ask the question who actually voted for Joe. But this is this is what's happening is as they were told to come here, they were going to be let through. The borders were going to be opened. Uh, that's not happening the way they wanted it to. It seems like there there is uh, either some lack of management on the other side or maybe they realized that this was not a good idea. But whatever it is, what it's doing is driving people out towards Tecate across where all the border is open uh, and and that's you know again just increasing the cartel influence and activity out in those areas and like where we were out in new mexico and arizona and texas everything is moving out to those areas where they're paying cartels to cross them or they're being sold to the cartels and separated from their families and all kinds of terrible things are happening so it's just it's it's an absolute mess this is why we need border uh, this is why we need immigration policy effective immigration policy like we saw under president trump that was actually working the Remain in Mexico policy that said if you actually had a legitimate asylum need, you waited here, you got a number, you came across, you did it orderly so that we knew who was coming in. Right now, it is just mass chaos where nobody knows what the rules are, what the rules aren't, what the law is, who's going to be let in, who's not. And as that's happening, you're having more people wanting to come. Ironically, you actually have more border security in Guatemala right now than you do in America, where the Guatemalan government has said, this is not good for us. This is not helping our economy. What we saw with the mass caravans coming up from Honduras and, and uh, uh, El Salvador and Central America and, and Nicaragua and further south, it didn't help them. And so they're actually shutting their border down. So there's this weird twist of and, and COVID on top of that. What's, uh, on top, add this to this. So we're saying open borders. Joe Biden and the Democrats are saying everybody's welcome. But we know there's a lot of cases of COVID. Where they're not even able to test all the people. And it's not just COVID. It's yellow fever a lot of tuberculosis, the things that have been down here in Mexico and Central America for years, those are continuing to come up. And so it's just, it's not just, you know, the typical things that you think of. It is, it is a, a problem that is magnified uh, because there's just no way of tracking where everyone's coming from, what they've got. And it's because of their, America's standards, America's policies that, that restrict, you know, a certain flow and have it orderly when you have it the way it is now, it's it's just asking for a disaster. Right. Yeah, the uh, bubonic plague, typhoid, yellow fever. We've bubonic heard all plague. of that coming yes. across yes. the border. Yes. And no doubt the COVID rates are much, much higher than are being reported because they're not being tested. Uh, That's stay right. safe, Ben. And thank you so much thank for you. what you're doing. Uh, I, I want to have you back every day on this show that you're down there. So make sure my producers are all aware when you are. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. G. Coming up, Nancy Pelosi just passed a bill through the House that would keep Democrats in power for pretty much eternity. Congresswoman Claudia Tinney is sounding the alarm, and she is with us next. 
You won't want to miss this. Stay where you are. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to Back to Gina Prime Time. So glad that you are with us as always. Now, Nancy Pelosi, very excited today. The House has passed their election reform bill, H.R. 1. The Senate needs 60 votes to get it to Biden's desk. That is unless the filibuster is ended. But Democrats would never do that, right? Republicans in Congress are ringing the alarm bells over this bill. They say that this bill will ensure that Democrats stay in power for pretty much forever if it's signed into law. Here with me now is one of those very concerned members of Congress, Congresswoman Claudia Tenney from New York's 22nd Congressional District. She's here with me now. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule, Congresswoman. Uh, this bill is 800 pages long, and there is a whole lot wrong with it. I wouldn't even hardly know where to start. The automatic voter registration was pretty alarming for me. Every person in the U.S., should not be registered. Every citizen doesn't care to vote. Not all are informed and educated to vote. But automatic registration would place tens of millions of voters on the roll who never vote except for when someone votes in their place fraudulently. What raised red flags for you about this bill? Well, my biggest concern on the automatic voter registration is that uh, that role of maintaining the integrity of our voter rolls should be placed on the boards of elections in the states. It's not a federalization, uh, the federalized uh, issue, which is what HR1 does. It's a complete takeover, uh, and there you see HR1, a takeover of our election system by the federal government, which means Nancy Pelosi, basically. And so it's all about politicians, and it's called, of course, they have a cute title, For the People Act. It's really for the permanent installment of the Democrats in Power Forever Act, and that's unfortunately what it does. But I would love to see every voter vote who is eligible to vote. But the problem is that this bill entrusts the voter integrity to departments of motor vehicles, whose mission is not to register voters and to maintain the voter integrity in our roles. It also enshrines and entrusts colleges and universities to maintain our voter roles. And it also allows 16-year-olds to register to vote people who are not eligible to vote, non-citizens. They could be permanent residents. They could be illegal immigrants. They could be foreigners. Anyone who gets a license in the United States or registers a vehicle would be automatically a, mem a, a registered voter, and there would be no way to stop them from voting. And the, one of the worst parts about this piece of legislation is it completely bans voter ID, something that would actually be the biggest step that we could take to promoting and protecting voter integrity. I want everyone to vote, but I just want everyone to vote once, as we're promised by our Constitution. And what the Democrats want is to want, they want complete chaos. And that was what was evident in my case. I had the longest election cycle probably in, I don't know, definitely New York history. I don't know if it's, it's national history, but they didn't complete my election until February from November. And I didn't get sworn in until February 11th. And that's because of the confusion that was caused by Governor Andrew Cuomo, our Emmy award-winning governor in New York, 
who created this <laughs> portal, who created this chaos and, uh, and uh, instant voter registration, no voter ID, uh, no verification of voters as required by our New York's constitution. And so that's what undermined our voice. And if the Democrats nationalize this, it is gonna be impossible for us to really take over or to give free, fair, and private election options for people. Congresswoman, another terrible part of this bill is taking power away from elected officials to draw congressional districts and instead of putting that power into the hands of a, an elected commission. Uh, why would Democrats want to take power away from state legislature, legislatures when uh, drawing these district maps? Because we know, we all know that the more local politics is, the less corrupt it is. Yeah, well, what, one of the problems we have in New York State is we actually voted into place a nonpartisan election commission to determine the new lines after the census is completed. And the New York Democrats, who control everything, it's one-party rule from Governor Cuomo to the Assembly and the State Senate, they're putting in a referendum that is statewide, and I urge any New Yorkers out there to vote against it, that would require only a simple majority and a partisan election uh, redistricting to go on this year against the will of the voters. And so the Democrats in the House and the national level have decided, yeah, let's make that national so all of these states that are controlled by Republicans right now, and many of whom have uh, nonpartisan commissions that will be determining the new election lines, they're, they want to abolish that, and they want completely partisan redistricting handled by Nancy Pelosi's leadership in the House of Representatives. And you can see how that goes. We just had two very controversial bills, and almost every single Democrat voted for you know, a terrible police bill, and every Democrat co-sponsored and voted for this terrible legislation, H.R. 1. So they are all under Nancy Pelosi's uh, power right now. She has complete control. I just can't believe not one Democrat would like be peeled off and vote against this terrible legislation, but that's the kind of control she has. And every time you or anyone, I or anyone oppose this sort of thing, the race card is called into play. Uh, what do you say to those who call you a racist for opposing this bill? They repeat that ridiculous line. Uh, the Republicans want to restrict voting for minorities. But what's your response to that? Well, actually, and this is the opposite of that. I mean, I, I hear that all the time. But, you know, the problem right. is you're undermining the ability of minority communities to have a voice because if people are voting multiple times and, and getting more than one vote, you know, you're going to undermine their voice as well. And so everyone is entitled to one vote. We have my son serves, you know, our nation as a Marine captain. Uh, there are people throughout our history who have, have sacrificed their lives and limb to make sure that we have free, fair, transparent elections that are private. We don't have anyone looking over our shoulder. Our, uh, our, the privacy and the integrity of our elections are sacred. We need to make them sacred. And the only way to do that is to have voter ID and to make sure that our election rolls are not you know, in, you know, taken advantage of by third parties third parties such as you know the Democratic operatives or even Republican operatives. We want to make sure that they're nonpartisan and that everyone has the right to vote you know, in a private, confidential way. Would you have, is there any way that you would have won your election? I'm just curious, just in light of what you told us at the top of this segment, uh, had you, had this bill already been enacted into law during the last election? Well, sadly, much of what is in H.R. 1 was enacted into law by Governor Cuomo via uh, executive law, an executive fiat. The governor has 
unlimited powers right now in New York State that the legislature has given him during the pandemic. So he was able to enact a lot of what HR1 is through, new, through the executive process. And some of those laws were actually uh, passed by the legislature, of course, by Zoom call. They're not showing up in Albany to actually vote. And so, yeah, I mean, had, had we not had some of those in place, I might have had a larger margin. Uh, but basically, we had to fight every aspect of this federal law in my race. So uh, I think people should be very careful about what they look, what they're, what they're voting for. And if my race says anything, your vote does count. I urge everyone to get out and vote. It is your sacred right and is also a duty as a citizen to make sure you exercise your vote. This is a self-governing constitutional republic, which means everyone should be participating in our government. Congresswoman, I want to switch topics over to the governor of your state. I'm having a hard time keeping up with all of his scandals, frankly. First, he mixed in COVID patients with nursing home residents, one of the most reprehensive things I've ever heard of in my entire life. And then he covered up the numbers of people who died in nursing homes to protect himself, and, to protect himself rather. And then Cuomo called around to lawmakers and threatened them and said he would destroy them if they defied him. <laughs> And then a bunch of women came forward to accuse him of sexual harassment. And now he has been exposed as one of the most corrupt and sleazy politicians out there, really. He said this. Listen. I ask the people of this state to wait for the facts from the attorney general's report before forming an opinion. Get the facts, please, before forming an opinion. And the Attorney General is doing that review. I will fully cooperate with it. And then you will have the facts and make a decision when you know the facts. I also want you to know that I have learned from what has been an incredibly uh, difficult situation for me as well as other people. And I've learned an important lesson. Innocent until proven guilty is nice, but folks on his side of the aisle don't usually abide by that. So it just seems like this consistent double standard if there's a standard at all, correct? Yeah, he is just, you know, he ran saying, I'm gonna take down New York's culture of corruption and he's turned out to be the epitome of the culture of corruption. He's the pay-to-play king in New York. He's been weaponizing New York state law and New York state taxpayer money against legislators, local governments, and everyone he can in order to keep his power. And also, now that he's in the position where he's been accused of sexual harassment, you know, he, had, he created his own standard to judge people by. And when, Chief, or when Justice Kavanaugh was up for consideration by the Supreme Court, and there was some controversy around him, Governor Cuomo said he should submit to a polygraph test. Well, maybe Governor Cuomo should submit to a polygraph test. Also, when our Attorney General, the former disgraced Attorney General, Eric Schneiderman, was charged with sexual harassment, Governor Cuomo said he should resign. So I say apply your own standards in this case. And you know, he said he was just being playful. Well, maybe Harvey Weinstein was just being playful when he had sexual harassment claims against him. You know, this governor is a phony, uh, he's a power broker, and he's not doing uh, a good job in New York State. His culture of corruption has become the norm, 
It's not something he's fought against. Albany's worse than it was when he even started 11 years ago. And I know I served with him uh, as a member of the state assembly, and it's been one corruption, power play after another, uh, pay to play, you name it. Many of his closest associates are in jail now because of pay to play scandals. You know, how the governor has escaped this is because the Albany press corps has refused to hold him accountable. I think he's finally getting his comeuppance, and now Democrats are actually holding him accountable. And unfortunately, it has come at the terrible tragedy of over 15,000 people who've lost their lives prematurely because of the nursing home policies that he put in place. And uh, it's time for him to resign. I've been calling his, for his resignation all the way back in 2014. But these latest revelations are really, uh, you know, just the, the straw that broke the camel's back. He really needs to resign to save all of us uh, the, the agony that we've been through with him for the past 11 years. My last question, Congresswoman, the fence around the Capitol is still in place, or the wall, if you want to call it that, and the National Guard troops are still in place there. But we are being told by the Democrat leadership in the mainstream media that the right-wing extremist Trump supporters are such a threat that they must keep the Capitol militarized. Well, what do you know about this threat that we hear about? Where are the arrests of these extremists that have supposedly been plotting to attack the Capitol that have prompted the maintenance of this wall around the Capitol. Meanwhile, of course, the wall around our country that protects us from foreign invaders is coming down. Yeah, it's funny that people who have said that walls and guns are immoral are using walls and guns to protect our nation's capital from the people, the very people, as I, get, I referenced earlier, a self-governing constitutional republic and somehow the people of this nation pose a threat to Nancy Pelosi's power. I'm in, the, I'm in Washington today and it's a beautiful sunny day and I don't see anyone here on the Capitol as they predicted. And it's just an embarrassment to our government and why we are such a beacon of hope and freedom around the world that this really, it looks like a movie set. Uh, it looks like you're landing in the Kabul airport in Afghanistan with the fencing yeah. and the razor wire. And it's really unnecessary. There's no credible threat. And Nancy Pelosi is doing this to our nation. She's the one responsible for this. And it's really a disgrace. Um, it really, I, I just, I don't, I, it, it's, it's a burden on all of us. And it is an embarrassment to this country. I, I think that they just have not proven in any way that this is necessary. Thank you so much for your generous time that you've given us today, Congresswoman Tinney. We'd love to have you back soon and I appreciate it so much. Thanks so much. All right. Coming up, John Solomon has brand new breaking news on the Russia investigation and what Obama knew and when he knew it. The questions we've been asking all along, you won't believe the answers we have for you that you'll only find right here. You won't want to miss what's next. More Dr. Gina Primetime right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. So glad you are with us. Hey, don't forget, if you are watching us at Real America's Voice, don't forget to tune into my podcast, which you can find at justthenews.com. Click on the little hamburger up in the corner on podcasts. Scroll down till you see my face. You can check out John Solomon's podcast there, too. And speaking of him... I'm going to tell you a little bit about him here in just a second. The Durham probe into the deep state corruption surrounding the Russian co Russia collusion investigation is still ongoing. To remind you, John Durham was named special counsel to look into how the FBI misled federal judges and Congress in an attempt to hurt the Trump campaign and the Trump administration. Remember all of this. And even though we don't hear much about this in the mainstream media, I know you haven't forgotten. And John Solomon and his crew over at Just the News still reporting on this and not going to let go of it like the best pit bulls in media that ever were. And John Solomon wrote the book on it, quite literally. John Solomon joins <laughs> us right now. Good to see you, John. Thank Good you so much you, for all of your relentless work on this. John, I saw the headline over at Just the News, and it said this, Durham File, a documentary roadmap to the special counsel probe of the rogue FBI pursuit of Trump. And John, we can't just pretend like this never happened and let it go. It's ah, important that right. we step back and take a look at the overall picture because this is government corruption at its absolute worst, which is exactly what you did in this piece at Just the News. Uh, com because this story has been developing for four years now, John, and so much has evolved. So please run through this again for those of us who need this primer and then bring us up to current day. Well, you know, one of the things about the unraveling of the Russia scandal was that it came out incrementally, a document here, a testimony there. Uh, and over the last four years, I realized through my reporting, I had, I'm not, this is the exact number, 10,178 pages of declassified documents. And so I, about a week ago, I said, you know what? I got to give folks the top 10. What are the most 10, 20 most important documents? And what do they say? And how are they relevant to the last chapter, which is, will John Durham bring anyone else to justice? Will anyone else get charged criminally? So I do some reporting. I find out it's still very active. I know John Durham's been quiet, but he's been very active talking to witnesses, working with defense lawyers. I find out that there's a big FBI, former senior executive of the FBI, cooperating that's helped propel the investigation forward. There's still a possibility of criminal charges in the near future. So I go through the documents, and what I try to do is explain now, four years into unraveling this scandal, what do we really know happened? And that's what this story is about. The, the what, the who, the when, and why we should all be concerned, whether you're Republican or Democrat, by what the FBI did to Donald Trump. And you're reporting that, John, the process has been slowed somewhat again, but we've been waiting for years. We thought this might come out before the election. I remember people were very excited about this. And then after yeah. the election, and now it's, here we are at spring, and we still haven't heard anything from Durham. Uh, is this a good sign that there's more stuff, and that's why it's taking longer? Or is this a bad sign that maybe stuff is being swept under the rug? What are, what are we seeing here in reality? Well, something interesting happened. Last week, John Durham resigned from his other job at the Justice Department. He was a longtime U.S. attorney in Connecticut. Uh, he resigned there, and, and they announced he's moving full-time to Washington. If he had nothing left, there wouldn't be a reason to transfer him here. Keep in mind, also, one of the last things Bill Barr did well, before he left was he upgraded uh, John Durham from U.S. attorney to special prosecutor. You don't do that if you're wrapping up and you got nothing left. You only elevate him, and you only bring more staff in, which is the other thing they did, if you have new evidence of criminality. What I'm hearing from people who have interacted with John Durham 
in the last few months is that it's active. They do believe there's additional criminal conduct. They're trying to get it to a point where they can bring it to a grand jury, possibly bring additional charges. So yes, it's been, it'll be 20 months uh, next week, I think, when John Durham was appointed. It's been a long time. Uh, Bob Mueller had three years. Uh, he's uh, about 20, uh, just a little under two years. I think this spring, we'll know if he's got anything left to, to give to the American people, any charges to bring. If it goes past the spring, I think we can assume it's died. The thing is, though, and I think what really frustrates a lot of people is that you've told us that Obama was warned that Trump-Russia collusion story was a fake story, but it yeah. didn't stop anything. And I think that's where there's no reprisal for that, it seems, John. Yeah, you know, several people lost their jobs, but there hasn't been the true accountability that will force the FBI agent the next time who's tempted to do these things to say, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to go to prison. There hasn't been right. that sort of accountability. There's an amazing loop of what happened. They were warned before Christopher Steele walked in. Hillary Clinton was going to play a dirty trick on Donald Trump, and it was going to be a Russia collusion dirty trick. Then they found out that the Christopher Steele dossier was, one, connected to Hillary Clinton, two, infected with Russian disinformation, and three, false. They continued to proceed. The FBI agents look at Michael Flynn. They determined he didn't do anything with Russia illegal, no derogatory information. They decide to keep his case open, even though the agent recommends shutting it down. They collect exculpatory evidence about Carter Page, George Papadopoulos, and they don't tell the FISA court, we want to keep spying on them. We're not going to tell you that they're actually innocent. Time and time again, the FBI violated its own rules. It violated the civil liberties of multiple people. It misled the court, the Congress, and the American public. And all we have to show for it is one mid-level FBI lawyer, Kevin Kleinsmith, being charged and not even sent to prison for people who know what happened. That doesn't seem like the right end result. And John, I, I feel like every time you're on, your, on this show, I have to ask you, because this is what people always ask me, um, and every time, you know, the answer is, is frustrating, I think, for all of us. But will any of the high-profile folks in all of this be held accountable? It seems like it's the lower-level people who end up, you know, punished. But will anyone, the big names we know, see the inside of a jail cell for what is essentially a coup? Well, what I will say is I, don't, I can't answer whether they're going to see inside a jail cell or they're even going to be indictments. What I will say is the focus has, you always start like in a mob case. You start with the low guy, you work your way up to the mafiosos and to the godfather. The FBI, uh, the investigation by Durham has been working their way up the chain. The most important development is one of the six most important people in the FBI. I don't know which one it is yet, but one of the top six executives of the FBI during the Comey um, uh, years has now begun cooperating and providing significant evidence of what went on, not down below, but on the seventh floor, the headquarters of FBI. That tells me that John Durham is looking at the top of the FBI, not just down at line agents where blame often gets swept. That's a big development. That's some of the biggest news in this story. Now the question is, can they turn it into indictments, into, uh, into accountability and culpability? Okay, I'm going to say that's encouraging. I like that answer. Uh, because we want to see people <laughs> held accountable. Regardless of party, Absolutely. I want to see everyone who's corrupt in government held accountable because that's the only way that we know we the people actually have any say in government whatsoever if we do, which I you question every day these days. But anyway, John, I also want to ask you about uh, so much that has changed regarding access in the Biden administration. So we went true. from having literally the most 
transparent, accessible administration in my lifetime with Donald Trump, who would do impromptu press, you know, events, just on a whim, it almost seemed. Maybe they were planned, but they seemed unplanned. Uh, to the Biden administration, hiding Biden from the public and from the press. I saw this story at Just the News. It said um, White House cuts the feed, cuts the feed at a virtual event after Biden said, happy to take questions from Democrats. And uh, we have this video. Let's check that out and get your reaction. Do the many more things we know we have to do. So I want to thank you all. I really mean it from the bottom. I want to thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm happy to take questions if that's what I'm supposed to do, Nance, whatever you want me to do. John, I mean, that, that is so surreal to me. Is it that Joe can't handle going off script or is that is that that he doesn't need to? And the press is pretty silent on this. I mean, I would think that if this would have happened in a Trump administration, correct me if I'm wrong, oh, yes. this would have been running on a loop on every single alphabet soup network on television. Yeah, listen, and it wouldn't matter. Bill Clinton, George Bush, uh, uh, Donald Trump, it would have been a headline. I listened, after I saw it, I called the Marshal Service. I said, hey, is Joe Biden in the witness protection program? What's going on here? He did keep pulling him <laughs> off stage. I don't know if we know the answer. What we, We've seen this, though, all through the end of the, all through the fall campaign, Joe Biden was one of the most inaccessible candidates in the history of American politics. And now we're six or seven weeks in. I've covered, see, seven administrations in my career. I've never gone six or seven weeks into administration without a president having a formal news conference in the West Wing. He hasn't had that. There's a lid on at five, six o'clock at the White House every day. This is a president that is barely publicly visible. And, and listen, it's not just in America that people are whispering. I've been talking to ambassadors, world leaders. They're wondering what's going on with Joe Biden. They hear from Kamala Harris more than they hear from Joe Biden. Something is going on. We don't have an honest answer yet, but Joe Biden has been the most inaccessible president and they're doing other things. They're cutting off the comment lines. You can't leave comments. You can't take a look at who Joe Biden met with virtually in the pandemic. Uh, they got rid of the, the famous um, uh, petition thing that Sign Barack in. Obama started. Oh. We could do it all erased. It's like the American public doesn't have a voice anymore. Right. And then here's another one. This week, reporters did have just a few seconds to shout some questions at Biden. And, and this is this is what happened. This is crazy. Listen. Did you receive a briefing about the border today? Uh, yes, I did. What did you learn? A lot. Is there a crisis at the border, sir? Supposedly the most powerful man in the world there, John Solomon, and he either will not or cannot answer questions from the press that are, by the way, softballs all the time. This is not okay, John. It's bad for the American people. And you know what? The American people are on to it. And we sometimes we worry as reporters, well, maybe the news media is really covering it up. I, everywhere I go, people ask me, why is Joe Biden not engaged? Is he okay? Is he really the president? Is there a Dave-like figure? Uh, does he have a double? What's going on? Uh, it's starting to burn into the American conscience. And it's going to become an issue for this White House very soon. And, you know, the truth is we don't know the answer why he's been so protected for so long. You know, people can opine it's medical, it's this. Maybe it's just because the news media is letting him getting away with it. At some point, reporters are going to get tired of it. The temperature is going to go up and it's going to become an issue before the 2022 elections. Your work has never been more important, John Solomon. Oh, thank you. Thanks, it's absolutely Tina. true. Thanks so much for what you do every day and for taking time to explain it to us on the show.
Right back at you. <laughs> right. All right. And uh, we will be back in just a moment. Make sure you check out the podcast of John Solomon, myself, and so many others at justthenews.com. All you have to do is go to the site and click on podcasts. Coming up, conservatives are being pushed out of the U.S. military. Conservatives, Christians, anybody who believes in freedom, there is a purge going on in our military. What happens next? You won't believe what our next guest, you might recognize the last name. Stay with us. More Dr. Gina Primetime coming up right after this. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. Now, last month, Biden's new Secretary of Defense tweeted that he was ordering a 60-day stand-down of each branch of the military to address extremism in their ranks. Now, of course, we all know what that means. Extremists they want to purge from the military are conservatives and Christians and freedom lovers. There's nothing more annoying to the elite than members of the military who swear allegiance to the actual flag in the Constitution of America and believe in it and abide by that oath. Here with me now, Army veteran Maureen Bannon shows us, uh, joins us rather to discuss. Uh, Maureen, the purge is real. And it's an extension of the cancel culture, but it's part of the U.S. military now. How does the military identify who they want to purge? It's great to be with you, Dr. Gina. Um, so as you know, I come from a long line of military members in my family, and this is not the military that we joined. When we joined, you had to do a background investigation, and it did not include social media. Now it's been put out that the Pentagon is trying to make a plan where when you do the initial background investigation, they will be able to look at your social media and see if you are listed or, or belong to groups such as the NRA, Turning Point USA, and that, that's what they're determining as extremism. To me, those, those groups are not extremist groups. Um, and there was a report that was put out to the Armed Services Committee on screening individuals who seek to enlist in the armed forces back in June 2020. And I uh, did a deep dive through that document, and not once was BLM or Antifa listed in this document. Hmm. Only white supremacy and white nationalists were. What if I, for example, reposted, uh, let's just say, Steve Bannon's war room on my page? Would that qualify me as an extremist? According to this new administration, I believe it would. Um, they're basically looking to see if your views line up with that of the current administration. And if they don't, if you are a Trump supporter, then they are trying to say that you're an extremist. I've had multiple people that I worked with. Um, during my time in, friends that are in the National Guard and the reserves that have decided to go through their social media and any support that they showed President Trump or the NRA, they've removed because they're in fear that the DOD is going to come down and basically 
like we've discussed, purge them and force them out before their retirement. And a lot of these people have over 10 years. So they're well on their way to retirement to the 20 years. And no one wants that. They're literally socializing our our military. This is absolutely terrifying. Uh, Captain Bannon, I just wish that we had more time to have you uh, in this particular segment. But I want to have you back soon because there's a lot more I want to discuss with you. Unfortunately, our show is run behind today because we had a lot of great content. But will you come back and join us again soon? I will. Anytime. Okay, wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much, and thank you for your service. And thanks to you for joining me tonight. Thank you to everyone here at your new home for Real News, RAV TV, Real America's Voice. Live from Studio 6B is up next with Damon and the crew. Don't forget now, most important thing you do all day, hug your children, love your God. You go boldly now and live the truth. Good night, everybody.